For January 16th, 2017, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 446. They look like clocks and candles, but they can actually sing and dance. Pete, do you feel like your life has a purpose? That my life has a purpose. Or or mine or anybody's, but like yours in particular. I mean, because I assume it's the one that you're the most concerned with. Oh, that my life has a purpose? Do you feel I, I mean do you feel like that or do you feel like we're just going from day to day, you know, trying not to die and trying not to leave too much of a turd pile on the earth uh, you know, for successive generations to clean up? I, I tend to think of a of a life not having being the sort of thing that has a one-to-one relationship with the concept of purpose. Uh, a life is sort of uh, is time, right? Is opportunity, is chance, right? Or is uh, and and in the in the frame of having a life, you could potentially have one or many purposes, right? Like a purpose is something you do, not something you are. Uh, at least in, in my mind, I don't know. That's a good question. That's a good question. What about you, Matt? Do you feel like your life has a purpose? I, I feel like I'd like it to have a purpose. I feel okay. like a, a, on on a day to day basis, a lot of crap would be easier uh, mm-hmm. if it did have a purpose. Because what a purpose gives you is like a yardstick to measure. A, a lot of decisions against, right? Like, you know, okay. I don't know. Should I have a second helping of mashed potatoes? Well, what's my purpose? You know, should I have, is it, you know, is it to get as fat as possible? No. Well, then I probably shouldn't have a second helping of mashed potatoes. I mean, that's a trivial example, but you know what I mean? Like when switching jobs or choosing a partner or, uh, you know, making any sort of existential decision, um, right? right? Like this is the, uh, or, or, or what you imagine a larger scale decision is going to be be in your life it's easier it's it would be easier it would not not that it would be easy not that it ever is easy by any stretch of the imagination but it would be easier if if you felt like you know there were a sort of one one reason or there were like there were a fundamental reason it's it's a it's an idea of sort of fundamental direction you know right, something necessary Even yeah. perhaps inherent is one of the ways that it could be worked out well that's an interesting thing whether it's inherent whether it's like quasi genetic that the purpose is kind of inbuilt into you as you uh, as you are sort of uh, you know born and grow and things like this or whether it's something that you know, you discover or something like that. I don't know. It's, uh, I mean, we're releasing this. I'll tell you why I, I thought of this, uh, question and thought of this line of conversation. I mean, we're, we're releasing this on Martin Luther King day, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, the, the January bank holiday of the, uh, of the, uh, United States of America that is, has, uh, been, you know, made a commemoration of, I, I guess, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and the civil rights movement generally and uh, all the accomplishments um, of that uh, that person in that uh, movement in that sort of era, era in history. Uh, you know, heaven knows how long that's going to last. Uh, things, things being the way, <laughs> things being the way that they wow, are. Wow. All right. All right. Ma- but, that's, <laughs> that's having a tough time, but we're going to ride through it. We're going to ride through it. But the, uh, you know, um, 
But there, you know, you, you sort of look at that and you think, oh, there, there, like, there are like, uh, Hegelian world historical figures, right? Like there are, uh, there are people who sort of, um, seem to, to have, uh, grand, grand purpose. I mean, not for nothing. Sometimes, uh, uh, world leaders seem to have this, uh, sort of quality to them, or at least we narrativize them uh, as that. So th- this is an interesting thing. I mean, do you feel like, uh, I guess under your, uh, under, under your rubric of sort of chance and the kind of the vicissitudes of life, when this happens, it's more a matter of um, the, the right stars aligning uh, with the right person at the right time that, that some, some things get sort of elevated onto, uh, onto a, a grander stage, right? That, that wasn't the intention that I had in, of course, the author is dead and whatnot, so the intention to, that the reader infers is the intention that matters. But when I said chance, I meant more chance as opportunity, like taking a chance, that, that, a, that uh-huh. a life is a chance to pursue a purpose or purposes if you want. But I don't think that I don't think of a life as being the kind of thing that's on the same scale as a purpose, such that a purpose could in and of itself uh, fully encompass and justify a life. Right. Uh, I mean, in retrospect, you can narrativize it and such. uh, But certainly you could commit your life that way if you wanted to. You could say, okay, you know, I'm very religious and I'm very committed and that's the big thing for me. Um, I tend to I mean, my own sort of personal beliefs around that is that that's sort of a form of arrogance to assume that you have such great knowledge and certitude about your particularly religious purpose, but any other sort of, of ethical purpose, such that it, it, you might be able to assert that it encompasses your entire life and that it is the reason that you are here uh, because, you know, you you don't really get to decide the reason that you're here, right? Like that's sort of semi-mysterious, right? We don't really know why we're here. I mean, other than unless, unless you're comfortable with the whole idea of like, well, you're here for no reason, which, again, that's also an oversimplification, right? Because a life, if a life, if, if you think of a life as being out of scale with the notion of a purpose, then your life can't be without purpose, right? It can't, it can't be like a, a, a crime or a pain or a wound against your life that it does not have a purpose if your life and purpose exist in sort of s- different uh, scales and scopes. Right. It's sort right? of like it's sort of like if you have a very old computer mouse, like two button mouse, right, that has an old style PC serial port. Uh, you know, you can't yeah. plug that mouse into the new uh, gaming tower desktop that you've that you've just built because that only has USB ports, and you can't. It just doesn't. Uh, it's just a, not a compatible uh, connector. And the the idea of the the idea of the peripheral uh, just not being compatible with the sort of thing. Like I, that's the nearest analogy I can have to sort of those two things. Um, those two things don't uh, go together, or like. Uh, maybe it's like saying, does your refrigerator have an iceberg? <laughs> it's I mean, I almost think of it as saying, like, my calendar doesn't have any holidays in it. <laughs> right. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> like, it's like, oh, my calendar is my ca- is. Does your calendar have a holiday? Like my calendar is is all holiday. Right. Like I every day. It's, just, it's sort of like the live every week like it's Shark Week philosophy. Right. This, which I think there's a deep wisdom to the, the Tracy Morgan comment from 30 Rock live every week like it's Shark Week. Uh, first of all, implies that every week is not Shark Week, right? It is not such that a life, uh, you know, a life, a life, the statement, the loaded uh, philosophical statement, a life ought to be lived 
uh, as if every week were Shark Week includes within its syllogism every week is not Shark Week, right? Shark Week is a week. There are other weeks, right? Um, although I guess you could say if you were living it, yeah, because the were kind of implies that it isn't. Uh, in that sense, this idea of it, it is comforting and it is it is motivational and it in a certain sort of heuristic in the sense of like so heuristic, right, is sort of a way of thinking and talking in, ter- in asking a question, right, in order to solve a specific sort of problem. And a lot of the confusion that people run into, I think, in sort of casual philosophical conversation is that they're asking a question with the wrong heuristic. They're looking to solve a problem in one sort of language with language from a different sort of problem, right? And so the sense of sort of like, well— you know, I feel bad because my life has no purpose. The language of kind of what my life is, to me, if you interrogate the this, the the proposition, like, what is my life? Uh, then you interrogate the prop- proposition, like, what is my purpose? I feel like those are different heuristics, and you would go through different sorts of evidentiary questions and different sorts of synthetic reasoning in order to arrive at satisfactory conclusions to the both of those things. Yeah, right? that, like, I mean, uh, that, that makes a lot of sense to me, and it's something that I had not uh, – thought about it hadn't occurred to me to to think about it in that way that we're we're dealing in sort of different realms of of abstraction i mean i think furthermore you can say that thinking about your life in the abstract is actually probably too broad or too grand a scale to think of your life on right because i you know we think of life i i would posit that we think of life at like two possibly three scales uh at the same time and no more than that. Like one is um, an immediate horizon. Like uh, where is the bagel that I want to put into the toaster? Like at that, at that sort of level. And then the other scale that we think about life is, is maybe like an 18 month to three year horizon, which is the, you know, when is my next promotion? horizon mm. right and that beyond that there isn't a ton of and and if you do have a ton of planning um beyond that scale generally like life surprise life surprises you there's the old saw about like how you make god laugh right make a plan um the <laughs> the whole ha huh, huh, and and pete just laughed coincidence said, ha, yeah. <laughs> um the right the the idea that uh you can think about life um, as a single unit, a life uh, is probably uh, probably by itself too grand, and yet this this sort of reasoning is very seductive, isn't it? Right? Mm. Uh, I think there's a couple. I think there's a couple reasons for that. Um, I think it it ennobles your life and sort of ennobles your thinking about mm-hmm. yourself a little bit and that can be comforting though if you actually sort of take on the weight of that if you have a purpose there's always the chance if you have a grand purpose there's always the chance that you'll fail at that grand purpose and that your life will be a failure so it's not it's a double-edged sword um to kind of live the ennobled life um two is it's a way of confronting uh, existential dread to a certain right. extent and the huge multiplicity of possibilities and, uh, 
either your conviction about or your fear about, depending on which side of this divide you're on, uh, the ultimate meaninglessness of everything and the idea that there could be um, could be a purpose. I mean, where does purpose come from? Well, one place it comes from is ancient prophecies about one, <laughs> you know, one you who... You know, Matt, you're just wait, we're just waiting to figure out wh- which one of us is the chosen one, right? It's going to be one of the overthinkers. It's going to be a prophecy that's foretold, and, and we're going to go have to jump kick some sort of vampire in order to, to settle the score yeah. and right the wrongs. And make everything better, right? But yeah, ancient prophecy is one place that you can get purpose. Yeah, um, and and I mean there are, there are other places like wise, uh, you know, wise elders um, like your grandmother. Moana gets her purpose from her grandmother. You know that uh, um, she is meant to sort of voyage out and to to I don't know save the world. Um, that is spoiler alert. She succeeds. the The world is saved. <laughs> Moana fulfills her purpose. So, so to to sort of, I've pushed the question away a little bit out of pers- uh, sort of personal defensiveness, right? To sort of protect myself from the question, I've I've pushed it to uh, an arm's length. But I'll pull it back in a little bit to to tweak the question, right? And people people will often dismiss, oh, you're 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 talking semantics, but semantics is the meaning of things, so it's pretty important. Uh, the question, <laughs> the question, like that's it's like, oh, you're just talking about semantics. Yeah, I'm just talking about the meaning of everything. That's all I'm talking about. Um, are you living with purpose, right? One of the, one of the things that I, I, I uh, tell my performers, right, I, I'm currently on a bit of a break from improv coaching after doing it for uh, three years solid without a break. And I'm in a bit of an improv break with coaching. One, and one of the uh, insights that I feel like I arrived at around year three and it was telling my performers a lot is that your, your scenes exist in time, Right. Like the thing that you're doing exists in the context of the moment that you're doing it in. It is something that is four dimensional, not three dimensional. Uh, and the, the application for this. Right. Is that if you're thinking about like, Matt, what's a what's a movie that you think is really funny? Right. Uh, Name a- oh, sure. Uh, Caddyshack. OK, sure. So Caddyshack. So you're thinking of the gopher. Right. And the gopher is coming up. Uh, I mean, I guess, gosh, I haven't seen Caddyshack in a long time. I know. I, know I, I probably should have said it's hard to think of a, of a recent movie that you think is funny because so I'm, many. I'm all right. No need to worry about me. All right. I'll, <laughs> I'll tell you with Caddyshack. If you think of the Caddyshack gopher like popping up and looking around. Right. Uh, and you're and you're doing comedy. Right. Or you're trying to, like, create more things that are enjoyable and that are that are full of laughs. The 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 if you then were to transition into a room in which there was sort of a painting of a gopher on the wall. Um, po- picking its head up and looking around, that doesn't really capture what it is the gopher is doing or the purpose of the gopher in Caddyshack, which is to confound, right? Like the purpose of the gopher is as a sort of agent of chaos, right, in Caddyshack, uh, as if I remember correctly. Yeah, the, go- the gopher sort of uh, uh, represents – uh, in some abstract way, like the the rebellion against, uh, of nature. I mean, it's a comedy, so it's about the rebellion of nature against our grand plans. It's actually, I mean, comedy is about pur- purposelessness a little bit. Uh, but but I'm I'm um, stealing your thunder a little bit. Well, so okay. So, so so this idea of does the life have a purpose has to do with the sort of relationship of things, wherein the gopher and the, the purpose of the gopher and Caddyshack is to be part of the movie Caddyshack, right? Which is part of a larger social engagement sort of social project that we're all participating in when we watch Caddyshack or when we watch any other sort of movie with a VHS where there's an illustration of a photograph on the front, right? Like, like that is, there is a project there. And within the scope of that project, the gopher has a purpose, 
right? Um, the gopher's purpose does not exist in sort of a, a, a frozen, in a sort of frozen platonic f- eternal form state, wherein uh, the gopher sort of like drifts in this notion. I mean, any word I'm using feels imprecise, but this idea that like if you took the gopher and you subtracted time from it, the gopher would not be able to accomplish what it accomplishes, which is to like burst from the ground, right? Which is to sort of exist in a sort of confoundment where other people are looking at the gopher and the gopher's looking around. Around, right like like the gopher's experience is happening now sure when, so you're saying when, you're yeah. saying that like an intervention if you intervene in a, a sequence of events or in a discourse drink or in a uh you know some sort of situation there's there's always uh a before during and after um and that's that's yeah. sort of a necessary part to to an intervention right it's not yeah. then, it's not like yeah. the gopher gophers abstractly and the gopher is gophering without causing change it's that right. change requires uh a conception of time how about exactly okay <laughs> and so and so the idea that uh, the gopher, the, per- the we look at the gopher and we see that the gopher has purpose and we build our own notions of ourselves based on fictional characters, on stories, right? And we see the people in those stories, they have purposes in the context of the story and we want to be like the people in the story and so we want to feel like we have purpose. But because the story exists to us outside of uh we get we can conceive of the story existing outside of our experience of telling it or watching it or hearing it um it doesn't it doesn't really exist that way right like the way that we experience the purpose of the characters is the context of them doing things and as such when i would say like well matt do you, does your life have a purpose uh the life uh, if your life is sort of sitting on the vhs rack at blockbuster video right in a, in some in the last blockbuster video high in the mountains of nepal uh in the in the in the most offensive doctor strange adaptation yet uh it all happens in a blockbuster video um, if your life is sitting in the VHS tape and nobody's watching it, then it doesn't have a purpose. But if somebody is watching it or if you are living it, then it exists in time. And in that sense, I could say, are you living with purpose? Right. Are you acting with purpose? Is the thing that you're are you experiencing purpose is a different question than do you have purpose? Because I think I, I think ideally the way that purpose functions and I talk about purpose a lot in like my professional work, which I'm not going to get into much. Uh, but it has a lot to do with kind of motivating people, but also kind of like organizing people, communicating with people in large organizations. But this idea of like the purpose that you have when you're doing your job is not the purpose of your life. Right. But it is still something that you can live authentically in the moment. Like it's still something you can participate in. It's still something that might make you feel good. And it still might be something that helps you assuage existential dread. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm remembered one, one book I think of a lot and it's with misty memory that might make it better than it is, uh, is the book Terran Wanderer. Do you remember that book, Matt? Have you, no. have you read the Pridane Chronicles? No, not familiar. You're going to have to educate me. So that's the um, so that's the Black Cauldron. Right. This is the the Black Cauldron was made into a Disney movie. It's a series of young adults uh, fantasy books uh, where, you know, the the main character is an assistant pig keeper. But a prophecy was foretold and he's secretly the prince and whatnot. And there's all sorts of like super magic. It it is it is uh, based on a lot lot of Welsh uh, mythology. 
and 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 all and all the stuff. And there's bad villains and good heroes and all sorts of stuff. And there's well, one it's good, book. better better than the other way around. Bad heroes and good villains doesn't uh, make a great young adult novel. I guess no, but it makes a great. It makes for a great uh, prestige uh, premium cable television show. Now, doesn't it? Ooh, <laughs> these, that these, great. these violent cauldrons bring violent ends. Uh, but. Um, it's uh, but the point is that there's a book called Terran Wanderer, which is uh, one might think unnecessary to the story, right? Which is about kind of like everything is sort of resolved, um, and it's it's the whole thing is a, is a coming of age tale about this boy becoming a man, right? And and he's they're fighting the Death Lord and all this stuff, um, but but it's about him kind of like wandering around, like thus Terran Wanderer. His name is Terran, wandering around the country. Uh, kind of just doing stuff and considering that, like, after all this stuff is done, uh, all after all of the sort of battles are over, there's not really going to be magic in the world so much, right? There's not really going to be adventures so much. And, and he sort of confronts, as I remember, and again, my memory of the book Terran Wanderer might be better or worse than the actual book because I read it a long time ago. But he, rem- he, th- he thinks about that really the existential question he doesn't frame it as an existential question right but it's like you know what well this is all miserable right everything everything that was fun and exciting and interesting about my life is gone and i just have this deep bad feeling about what's going to happen now that i'm an adult and and one of the answers is like well you should work right you should do useful things you should do good things you should do you should get things done because working and getting things done will make you feel better about the fact that uh, the Black Cauldron was like a couple of books ago, right? And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and we're yeah, we're deep, we're deep in the range of sequels now, and like nothing is going to be as good as once it was. Yeah, like and Ellen Wee is you know once you actually hang out with Ellen Wee, am I saying her name right? I really hope I'm saying her name right. No, it yeah, doesn't. Ellen, it doesn't. I mean, it it doesn't matter. I think it it sort of doesn't matter because like when we talk about sort of narrativization is something that we talk about that you and I talk about uh, a good deal, and it sort of doesn't matter if you're saying her name right in the abstract sense right because it's it's right for you now and like this is sort of a building block of your own um of your own consciousness of yourself right this is a building this is one of the stories out of which your uh out of which your life is made um and you know to a certain extent at at a certain level it's all arbitrary it doesn't matter what her her uh, name is it matters what you think her name is ad hoc to your particular goal in bringing her up uh, at this mem- at this moment and I mean I say this not to make some sort of uh, uh, you know sophomoric stupid abstract point that that doesn't mean anything like you know hey what if you see blue and I see blue and it's different but it's the same man no that's not <laughs> <Qualia>. that's <laughs> no that's a bro that's not what i'm saying i i mean i think this sort of i think this sort of thing um I think this sort of thing is important. I mean, like, uh, before moving on to the point that I want to make, I think this idea of, like, work, you can work. A lot of stuff, a lot of this stuff, a lot of purpose, a lot of um, motivational stuff, a lot of uh, uh, this kind of discourse is in compensation for something that feels like it's lost. So, you know, you feel like you've lost the, the perfection of childhood. You feel like you've lost the perfection of some sort of golden age. The, the, I mean, we're talking about time again, right? Like the way things used to be were so good and now things are so crappy and we're not, you know, um, they're going to start canceling our holidays. Your, your, your calendar, which is full of holidays is going to have them, uh, revoked, you know, one by one. Um, 
that uh, that very often there is this thing that's uh, offered to you that is um, that is in, comp- in compensation. I had a great ninth grade English teacher. His name was Scott. Davison. And he would talk about, he had programmed in his class, wisely, I think, a lot of sort of adolescence coming of age stories. And, and he liked uh, sort of fairy tale-ish things like Dorothy and Oz or Alice in Wonderland. I guess maybe anything with in in the title, right? <laughs> because actually that, that in-ness is, uh, is the sort of existential situation, right? You have a sense of yourself as being, uh, as being being a thing as as being something that's different from what's out there, right? There's a boundary between you and the everything else, uh, and uh, this is not even to get into the problem of other minds. It's just that, like, there is in your consciousness a line um, b- between where you stop and the rest of everything else begins, right? And and the sense of inness, the sense of Alice in Wonderland or Dorothy in Oz, is that like I find myself in an unfamiliar place, in a place that seems crazy. In a, in a place where the familiar comforts or the, you know, um, familiar realities have been altered uh, into some kind of crazy thing. And there's a queen who wants to chop off my head. And what's that about? Right. Uh, he wisely sort of wisely um, programmed a lot of this uh, for us ninth graders. Not that we could understand it necessarily as such at the time, but it it uh, it spoke to our situation. It spoke to our, uh, it kind of resonated with us. And I remember it being a very kind of vibrant sort of set of discussions, which if not, you know, perfectly theoretically rigorous were, uh, at least very vital, uh, which is something for a ninth grade English class. It's actually a great achievement for, for a ninth grade English class. And, and one of the things that he used to, uh, he used to point out is like, if you have this line of coming of age, right. Or, uh, let's call it a line of loss, right. Or a line of change. If you have this line of change, examine what the virtues are on one side of the line and what the virtues are on the other side of the line, you know? Um, and the one that he used to talk about a lot was, uh, for children, the virtue is often innocence, right? Um, or the kind of the laudable quality, uh, for an adult, a young adult, the virtue is integrity. You can't have innocence anymore because you've uh, you've sort of walked through the fire or you've seen the dark side or you know whatever it is. But you can have integrity. You can live uh, in in consonance with um, a set of principles that you know that you would rationally endorse or that you would spiritually endorse or whatever you know whatever kind of plane you're on. You can you can endorse the principles that you uh, that you live by. And the idea that like well you know the black cauldron was a bunch of books ago and now now what we can do like adult life seems scary and i have this kind of vague sense of dread that everything is going to fall apart uh you know the world is going straight to hell what can i do i can work right that's like the that's like the end of of um Uncle Vanya, you know, when, uh, like the fancy professor has gone away, sexy wife has gone away, like dashing doctor has gone away. It's just Sonia and Vanya back on the farm. And it's like, what are we going to Those names all sound so much more impressive in Russian, by the way. Sir Bryakov, right? Is the, Sorry, f- finish it off. Finish it off. Uh, is the doctor and, um, 
So is, is is the young wife the 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 like the May December wife? Uh, her name is Elena or something. I I forget. Um, and uh, and they're sitting there at the table, like you know, the accounts of the farm open uh, before them, and they you know they send all their money off to the professor, right? They they don't enjoy the fruits of their labor at all, and like and uh, Sonia and Uncle Vanya. By the way, uh, it's her uncle. The play is called Uncle Vanya. Uh, she's the niece. He's the uncle. They're sitting there um, at the table, and she gives this impassioned speech about what shall we do? We shall work. Right. And she gets it's highly ironic because she gives it with such conviction. I mean, if you're do if you're doing it right, she gives it with such conviction. It's like a rallying the troops. You could imagine a waving flag right behind her and like a sort of martial um, snare drum cadence going behind, you know, Vanya, we shall work. Uh, and and of course, this is a crappy situation that she's committing herself to. <laughs> not a good answer. Yeah, yeah it's, exactly. It's a terrible. Well, it, it may be a good answer or it may not be a good answer. It's the answer that that she has, but it's not an answer that will serve her or bring her any kind of uh, any kind of utility at all, right? Like uh, because it's going to enrich um, some other person uh, at at her expense but it's something that that with all this stuff that's been kind of ripped away from her you know it's something that she can uh cling on to you know mm-hmm. it's something that 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 she can do and so i feel like you know i don't know that there's to a certain extent like uh, you you got to be careful d- when living with purpose you know uh because very often I don't know. Very, very often, I think the things, um, the things that motivate us are not necessarily uh, things of our choosing. I suppose they're not at all things of our choosing because ultimately they're things in our in our biology and psychology. And you know, it's sort of well known what some of those levers are, and you can kind of. Pull them more or less expertly, uh, you know, at diff- different times, given sort of different exposures to different kinds of discourse and messaging and, and things like this. But um, you know, the the idea that like you you can live with purpose, or that as an adult, you know, okay, I'm going to work, I'm going to I'm going to work and and make that my purpose. Well, work for what? Well, to, yeah. to what end? And to to sort of. Um, uh, to to enrich what you know uh what person i mean yourself some kind of sense of the greater good uh your you know already wealthy relative like uh this you know this is the and so it 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 sort of puts in mind to me certain ideas about um authority and certain ideas about uh and i i mean authority not in the sense of like uh um, I think uh, authority in the sense of authorship, right? Like authority in the sense of a kind of legitimacy. Like uh, what, once you're talking about, are you living with purpose? I think there needs to be a discourse at the same time about legitimate, legitimate uh, yeah. purpose. Um, right. Uh, I mean, does that to, uh, not to just black cauldron you, you know, uh, no, not to <laughs> what just does that even mean to black. I mean, to black cauldron, someone is to kill them and then resurrect them as an immortal evil soldier. Right. Or are you talking about some other sort of mechanism than the mechanism of the black? No, cauldron, it, was, it was that not to you know what the black cauldron does. It is imbues you with purpose. That's for sure. Because you serve the death Lord. Right. That's what you do. Um, orcs have purpose. 
that it is it is characteristic of many sorts of evil henchmen that they have purpose in their lives right like the i wonder like the guy who uh i mean that's that's the joke right in uh was it iron man 3 where the henchman is about to is like getting confronted with iron man he's like they don't pay me enough to deal with this nonsense and then leaves there's this assumption a lot of the time that henchmen have a profound sense of purpose in their in their obedience to orders in their pursuit of nefarious actions in their pursuit of neon spray paint and or other sorts of of loot uh that are associated with it uh but yeah no i I see what you're saying i i have a lot of you 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 hit a lot of topics in a row uh, so there's a lot of notes to make down the road, but I'll try to focus more on the end of what you said than on the middle and the beginning. Although I will say that about the beginning is that it made me think when you said Alice in Wonderland as a rubric for how for a sort of a childlike uh, frame of reference for a world that kind of raises the question of purpose. When I want to think about an adult reference for living purpose, I think of Medea goes to jail, right? <laughs> like Alice is in Wonderland, yeah. but Medea goes to jail, fair, right? Fair now maybe enough. she didn't send herself. Maybe she was sent there by somebody else, but she's going. And in, and as such, there is a there is a sense of purpose to what's going on here, uh, and and things that are going to happen before Medea leaves the jail. There's also uh, uh, there's an important well actually, which is that the the Lewis Carroll books are called I. Think, think uh, Alice's Adventures Underground and Alice's Adventures Through the Looking Glass. There is no Alice in Wonderland. That's a Disney thing. Well, it's interesting to think about conceiving of it as Alice in Wonderland might be uh, making the character more passive than the character is in the Lewis Carroll books, where there's sort of an, more of an active investigation going on than the sort of Disney princessification of the character of Alice might lead one to think. Right. Um, that sort of Bell-esque sense of wonder at all sorts of knowledge that you say you pursue but never use. Right. That's sort of that's not really that's not per- like like uh, the, the, the Beauty and the Beast in Beauty and the Beauty and the Beast is a great uh, is a great story to think about when you're thinking about purpose. Right. And you're thinking about what's people's purpose in life and how do they live their lives. Right. Um, because Bell, right, in Beauty and the Beast it has has a stated sort of personal mission statement of being like I at least and I'm thinking about the Disney movie right I read a lot I'm inquisitive I'm a little bit iconoclastic I, I have a lot of joie de vivre as it were right I like life uh, I like the world around me I you know what I actually don't really know Matt you're a very well read person that whole joie de vivre French phrase first of all how do you actually say it and second of all what does it actually mean joie I feel like I've been misusing it joie uh, uh-huh. de vivre and, yeah, and that's a good. That's as good an anglicization as like uh, you're going to get of it. I I suppose I'm not actually. I don't actually speak French, but I I know they like. It's kind of like Sartre. Sartre. You're supposed yeah. to kind of uh, hairball out the the final r r e. So it's like joie de vivre. Uh, yeah. A um a French Canadian professor of mine once uh, said uh, said you pronounce the r but not the e. So like joie de vivre or Sartre. You know, right. um, but but anyway, it means like uh, it means sort of joy of life. It means sort of like joy, joyful spirit, uh, or I guess living, right? Like uh, kind of joyful spirit in in activity. Like your life may not have joy, but you can be living with joy. I yeah, suppose. and I mean that's a great way of looking at a different notion of a life that is has a certain amount of self protection from existential dread, but is not doing it. By by Caddyshack gophering itself, right? By saying like, well, I will feel better about the void if I can torment Bill Murray, right? Like if I have a purpose, right? If my whole life is encompassed in a specific task that is important to somebody else, 
I will feel better about being a shaky candle in a vast night, right? <laughs> like, uh, and you know, even if you don't believe the universe is a vast light, and if you believe the universe is a more friendly place that is sort of bountiful with a natural sort of love or hope, even if you believe in those sorts of things too, it can be scary. Like, where do I fit in, right? What, what, where's my part in it? Am I going to be judged harshly by it? Am I invited to the party? The whole notion of sort of a joie de vivre uh, confounds that a little bit because it, it speaks to a way of living in an exalted manner without necessarily – in like a cheerful manner without necessarily uh, uh, having to have that kind of, um, uh, I guess, a semantic mechanism, uh, a semiotic mechanism is maybe a better term there than semantic mechanism of like I need to invest my life as a part of a, of a different whole. Right. Um, or or even to say in the matter of scope, whether I feel good or not about the situation of my life is dependent upon whether my life is part of a whole is sufficiently part of a whole or not. Yeah. Right? And, and if it's part of a whole, then I feel good. And if it's not part of a whole, then I feel bad. There are other ways to feel good. There are other ways to feel bad. Uh, Belle in Beauty and the Beast feels good about life. She likes life in general. I mean, it's not great. Sometimes it's difficult. She gets sexually harassed constantly, right, by the one guy in town who who everyone looks the other way while he does it all the time, right? Like, uh, although, no, maybe she gets, actually, are we supposed to read that song as her being heckled on the street by literally everybody in town? They certainly all insult her to her face by singing out their windows at her, right? Like, look at she goes, that girl is strange, no question. The most peculiar mad was out. Like, she can hear you. You're all singing. <laughs> But she lives with joie de vivre, right? Like she, she, she goes out there now. Now, Belle, she, you know, oh, if Belle lived a life now, we've we've talked about the difference between living a life with a purpose versus living a life with purpose, right? Uh, Belle seems to live a life with with some degree of purpose, but it doesn't have a purpose yet, right? And then and then she goes to the castle and she meets the beast, and in the context of that expanse of time in her life her life has a purpose in the sense that it is part of this fairy tale about what happens to this castle and the people in it and the ultimate purpose of it is to teach a moral lesson to a child right uh that is not in the world of the story right and that and that must be very comforting to bell who as we must now remind ourselves is not a real person um as such does not face the challenge like do you think it would if you if you think about being in that kind of situation it's interesting because it's easy to sort of shortchange the line of critique that i'm approaching here by saying like let's make a gritty reboot of beauty and the beast which you know maybe we'll all see soon where bell confronts her situation and is like you know, no, that is not the conclusion that I draw from this situation because I am a real person and not a fictional character, right? Um, but of course, <laughs> that's uh, that's. I mean, that's. I'm laughing at it because in that story she would be a fictional character, uh, and it's just it's more about our relationship with the fictional character. There's still the problem of scope, wherein fictional characters, by being a part of a whole by their nature, in the scope of time that you're listening to or watching the story, have a purpose. Uh, an ostensible purpose, a necessary purpose that we don't have in our lives, which are full of many stories, right? And have many beginnings, beginnings, middles, and ends, uh, and which can sort of change gear. Um, so, yeah, but so to talk about, gosh, you talked about so much. I mean, I did want to mention Ellen Wee. I did want you to mention Ellen Wee, uh, which is Ellen Wee in the Pretty Chronicles is a little girl, and she has a little bauble. She has this, like, little golden bauble that's kind of got magical, vague sort of magical glowing powers, uh, and it's employed in various to various degrees over the course of the story, and she's she's magical, right? And again, this is not a this is not a close reading of the Printing Chronicles. I haven't read it in like twenty five years, um, but not that long because then I would have been eleven, maybe that long, probably not quite that long. Um, but 
uh, Ellen Wee is is her purpose in the story is a familiar sort of purpose for female characters and that she's an object of desire for the hero. Right. Um, that is not an answer to a life. Right. To be an object of desire for somebody else. Like, you know, you, you've taught you mentioned relationships, Matt. I know that this is a difficult subject sometimes for people to talk about. But this idea of like, I have a purpose in my life because I mean, this is again, this is getting back to my critique of Westworld versus the Velveteen Rabbit. Right. right. Where it's like. Where, like, the Velveteen Rabbit becomes real because somebody loves it, right? Um, but again, being real is different than having a purpose. In You're that no bunny unless <laughs> somebody loves you. Yeah. Yeah, but I think, I think when you think about Westworld, too, this idea of all these kinds of situations, Westworld is a great example of what the gritty reboot of Beauty and the Beast I'm talking about would be like. Where it's like I'm in a in a crazy situation that would only exist to teach a moral lesson, right? This is a heinous state of affairs, and I refuse to accept it because it is a hellscape, right? Um, and that's not what Beauty of the Beast is doing, but it is it is implied if we get in so deep into our stories that we lose track of the difference, right, between ourselves and the characters that we compare ourselves to, which is an easy thing to do and something we do all the time. I mean, I'm not saying that that you should be virtuous and not compare and not think of yourself as Vin Diesel, because I went to the New England International Auto Show this weekend and you're darn right. I thought of myself like Vin Diesel when I'm behind the wheel of the Dodge Challenger, you know, SRT Scat Pack, whatnot. Um, I hope I got all those right. But anyway, anyway, the point being that Ellen Wee, when she has the bauble and she meets Taryn for the first time, there, there is sort of a there's a lot of powerful symbolism that's happening about this uh, the kind of introduction to you know you could you could approach it just from kind of a gender studies perspective like an introduction to the feminine right uh, you know the 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 bauble is sort of an ovum right there's a lot of stuff going on there but also you you could also look at it uh, additionally from the standpoint of like like meeting another person that, with whom there is a lot of possibility. And the 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 notion, the moment of meeting a person with which there's a lot of possibility is a different experience than the experience of, of living with that person over time. Right. You know, like living with a person over time is very different than than being really excited about the prospect of hanging out with them in the future. Uh, and, and both can be good. Right. Or bad. Right. In different ways. But um, but but like saying I feel like when I think back to my own life and I can only speak to my own life with this kind of thinking, um, the notion of like me and a larger sense having like a purpose in a relationship is really associated with the early phases of a relationship, right? Where it's like I could be this for this person, this person could be this for me, and it could fully encompass me and fully encompass this person. Who am I? Who are, who is this person? I mean, uh, teenagers, adolescents, and people in their twenties. So I, I will often say I don't like labels. I don't like labels in relationships. I don't I don't like having to figure out what I call the other person. And I think that that this is the tension we're talking about, the narrativization of a thing that doesn't exist. Uh, if you think of it like a story, like a fictional story, uh, invests the whole person into a narrative in, in it, it gophers them. It Caddyshack gophers them, right? Sure. It, or it, like, bell, it, it bell in the village. It, it, bell, bell, in, it bell in the villages, villages them, right? Yeah, act one. Um, Right. But it's uh, but but when you think about how do how do I live in a relationship in a way that feels like it has purpose or let me rephrase that. How do I live with purpose in a relationship? It just because just because your life isn't fully encompassed in this way, in this narrative that you've spun out about this thing that hasn't happened doesn't mean that you can't every day or maybe most days, if you're lucky, invest yourself in the purpose of living in in, in the relationship. Right. Like right? so, I, I want to. I, I would like to hijack this and sort of take yeah. it uh, take it to a place that uh, you and I both love to go. 
and that is the online etymology. <laughs> yeah, the online etymology dictionary. Oh, that's great. Which is also known as Funky Town, yeah. uh, depending on what you, um, uh, you know, depending on what you consider to be funky, and the the. Uh, the etymology of of purpose through old French um, comes from an old French word uh, that means aim or intention, um, and ultimately the root the root word uh, the uh, the root words I guess are are a prefix that means like uh, forward or forth. Uh, Latin in Latin it's pro, um, and uh, the word for place, which is ponere in Latin um, or uh, uh, I guess poser uh, in 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 French. It's it's you know um, oh I forget the principal parts in in Latin, but the s comes in in the uh, the s comes in in I think the the uh, perfect active indicative. Um, anyway, the so it means aim or intention or goal or thing that you that you put forth, and that is a a, a sort of different thing. I think this gets at the the difference between the question I opened with, like, does your life has a, have a purpose? Does this thing have a thing? Um, is there a relationship? Can, can your mouse plug into the serial port, uh, on your gaming PC? Um, and that, because that's like, is there a sort of, uh, a priori complete thing that relates to another a priori complete thing? Um, and right. what you're saying, uh, is on a one-to-one basis. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. Like where, where, they sort of fit together like puzzle pieces. Um, but, uh, and you're saying that you can sort of go with, you can sort of go with intention, right? Like you can kind of put forward, uh, you can put forward, um, a, per, uh, a purpose. Uh, you can, you can do something. And actually we, we, it's sort of preserved in the phrase on purpose is, did that happen on purpose or by accident? Right. right. And, uh, accident meaning like, uh, literally just kind of thing that befell, you know, like, did that just befall you, or was that a was that a um, was that a part of an uh, was that a part of an intention? Um, all right, so there is there is a theology. I'm I'm familiar with it uh, as a a Christian theology of um, of sort of purpose, right? And that's like. Uh, um, and the the intellectual problem it's meant to solve is well how do i do good things right if i do good right. things i have to decide what the good things are and i'm not god so i can't you know in this christian framework god is good god knows what the good things are i don't necessarily know what the good things are my reasoning is fallible uh for which see genesis etc right like i know uh i'm going to screw up if i try to figure out the good so so if i do good based on my agency that's not actually good and and yet we want to do good in the world so how do you how do you do good and how do you solve the kind of the the um conundrum of this like we all want to sort of i don't know what's the aim of christianity we all want to like bring about the the great kingdom of god or something like that the great sort of holy kingdom at the end of time where death shall have no dominion and uh that's the goal of christianity uh is it is it not i thought the goal of christianity was to love each other 
and to forgive each other and, and and to and and as such and all of the sort of ancillary benefits that might come from that would be great but in general you want to you want to love each other and forgive each other and and learn how to live in a way that in which those sort of uh spirits those sort of uh those those, those spirits aren't confounded yeah, Ma- right? Mar- marty you're of- not thinking fourth dimensionally <laughs> Right. Like, the, the well, then, like, what would what would the the whole point of all the afterlife stuff be and like the resurrection of the body? Like, actually, by the way, that's in the Apostles Creed, like the resurrection of the body, the actual body like that's that's in the fine print. You know, uh, <laughs> it, like it's not uh, they, on, on the show floor. Right. Like, they, you know, when you're at the car show of, uh, <laughs> you know, they don't uh, of Catholicism, they don't actually tell you that. But I. I, you know, I happen to know because I sort of looked into it a little bit. Like I read the five, I read a couple of internet websites about, uh, about, you know, all the stuff in the fine print. I got some user reviews. Some people were like, you know, a plus 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 would worship again. And some other people were like, you know, uh, no, don't, you know, and like, this is, this is the, the kind of the eschatological, I mean, at like at an eschatological timescale, this, this is the point. And so how do we do this? How, and how does my crappy little action do this and um the idea is that uh you don't uh you don't rely on your own agency but you attempt to participate in divine agency right, to, right, right. to bring about the to bring about the kind of the great uh state at the you know the eschatological state uh at the end of at the end of history and like this is the this is the kind of the solution to that to that conundrum of sort of uh fallible um fallible human agency and yet uh wanting to sort of do uh, do good. So it's, so it's possible. I mean, and, and I realize this is just like moving the goalposts, but it's possible to sort of live with purpose and have it be bad purpose. Right. Uh, I, I, and I suppose you're always, you're always sort of living, you're always sort of living with purpose, right? Like the default, um, there is a kind of default set of of purposes that maybe are not a, 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 a product of your agency, but that um, you still sort of serve. There is like an aim or intention uh, to your behavior, whether or not you're conscious of it. Or I, I'm saying, wake up, sheeple, follow the well, money. I, I, I would I would disagree with you on that. Uh, but again, it's not a disagreement of facts. Right. It's a disagreement of framing and perspective, because what I think what you're saying is you're thinking of purpose in the sense of the the Caddyshack TV, the Caddyshack VHS. Right. What is the larger thing that you are part of? Right. Like you you are doing something. Not making a decision is making a decision. You will have an influence on the people around you if you're a um, if you're a materialist. Right. Then then what your purpose is, is the relation of the things that you are doing consequentially to the circumstances and people around you uh, through the the, uh, mechanisms of the material world, right? Like you might think that you don't have a purpose because you feel aimless, but really your purpose is that you are making shoes or you're buying shoes or you're in the supply chain for shoes in some way, right? Like there's somewhere – I'm just saying that the shoe is on the other foot in materialism, uh, but but – when we're talking about living with purpose and the kind and you're talking about kind of existential purpose, like sort of, you know, being for which a being is an issue, right? Like, like uh, if like we have to we if we are starting from the assumption that we're talking about entities that uh, have to deal with the reality of being entities, that's like part of part of what they have to do with themselves is like I have to deal with the fact that I'm a thing that exists. Right. And if that's sort of the beginning of it, then that thing living with a purpose 
is I don't think is necessarily the this this the subjective frame of reference, the issue of being and the relation of being with purpose. I don't think is necessarily satisfied by a material critique of uh, of the 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 consequences. Like you always live with consequences, right? You don't always live with purpose, but you always live with consequences, right? Um, and there are accidents, right? Uh, and you can live with a purpose, and and you can come about with the wrong consequence. But I guess, but again, this is a heuristic, like I talked about before, like the heuristic of, well, how do we figure out what somebody's you know career is going to accomplish, or or like you go to you go to you go to um, a political rally, right? And you're th- you ask the question, well, why am I here, right? And and the answer might be because it feels good, right? Because it satisfies me on a moral level, or because I like these people, or because I really believe in what we're trying to accomplish. On one level, that or by the other level, it's like, well, you're here because your support is going to lead to this outcome being slightly different from this other outcome, and it's all very probabilistic, and there's a very small chance of it, but it's still sort of part of the big picture, right? Like, everybody does make a difference, however small that difference may be. Those are different ideas of why am I here, right? Like, And then there's the big why am I here, which is like, why am I here at all, uh, which is an important question. that it, it doesn't have a satisfactory answer, right? Like, uh, other than just like, you have to disentangle the the problem of cause, uh, you know. And this is all this is all sort of existential stuff. But but the, the 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 point being that I think you can live with purpose in the in in like in the scope of time with a beginning, middle, and an end that doesn't necessarily correspond to your life, or even if it does correspond to your life, that's largely by coincidence. Uh, but you could also live in a purposeless way or feel purposeless while you're living and still have consequences. Does that make sense? Yeah, uh, it yes. Yeah, it it absolutely does. The the and and I sort of I acknowledge your critique and, and accept it. The one thing that I want to um, I, I think the way the kids say that this, these days is fair. Fair. <laughs> it really is. I have no idea. I've, I've, I mean, I've heard this so much. Fair, 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 fair. fair. You know, like, uh, and and it's almost it's said almost dis- dismissively, like uh, because like the manifest content of that statement is like I concede your point, uh, and it's uh, and yet it's it's said with the tone of like shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. Like, <laughs> it's, I can, it's, I can. It's a way point. of of conceding a point without uh, discursively giving up ground because we have this obsession with arguments, right? Which is, uh, I mean, it's characteristic of a lot of cultures, but we have this real obsession with arguments in the culture these days wherein like you got to win the argument right like you you either win the argument or you lose the argument when you know a lot of the time that's not really what arguments are even doing and so it's a a way of kind of allowing arguments to coexist right while maintaining a a certain you know but while not being forced to cede high status in order to acknowledge an argument that may be correct but anyway continue continue continue. so yeah well i mean i and actually this is like yeah you're either the the you're either the one perfect response or else you like you get told or something like this and this is not a super useful way uh you know, from, from the point of view of, uh, from the point of view of progress, but like the, the, um, the one part that I want to push back on is, and this is, this relates to sort of like first world modern, you know, developed country living, right? Like, uh, 
one uh, analysis that sort of emerged of purpose is like, is there a reason? Is it by accident? Is it just happenstance? Or is there a reason? Um, and even if you don't decide the reasons, there are reasons. Like if you pick the easiest, my reason is to go with the easiest possible uh, thing. I'm going to like, how, how, how shall I have dinner? Pete, Pete, how shall I have dinner? You know, mm. shall I have the easiest possible dinner? Right. Or uh, shall I have the best of, <laughs> shall I have the best of all possible dinners? Because I, I if find I, that question difficult to interrogate. How shall we have dinner, Matt? How should you like to have dinner? <laughs> right. uh, if I have the easiest possible dinner at all times, like uh, I, I will never stop gaining weight because like in and out is so, so good. And right. uh, it's, there are, I mean, there, uh, frankly, it's the best fast food you can find, uh, but there are so many calories, you know, and not a lot of salads. So the, the, you know, there's still, there still is a perp, there still is a reason, even if you, uh, even if you kind of issue reason, even if you sort of issue uh, purpose, th- there still is a reason um, that you know certain things are easy and certain things are 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 difficult, and you sort of serve and reinforce. Uh, you sort of serve and reinforce um, certain things, but but like uh, as you say, I'm making a materialist critique of uh, I'm making a materialist critique of kind of an existential question. But I, I, the thing I want to push back on is I I think it's maybe not quite as neatly divided um, okay. as that because I think there's I I think that in in there's an inherent. Um, there's an inherent default existential framework in a lot of things that seem to be merely materialist. Does that, uh, does that, does that make so sense? What you're, what you're saying is that they look just like clocks or candles, but they can actually sing and dance. <laughs> uh, yeah. When they, uh, right. Exactly. When the, when the lights go off and, and no one is, uh, and no one is looking or something like that. Bonjour, 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 bonjour. Um, the, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I don't know. It's so it's it's a it's a tricky thing. Like you're you're so even. I'm talking about even in the sense not when you sort of experience aimlessness, when you experience great zeal, right? Like when you when you are are living with with. I mean, I guess another in this in this way that we're uncovering another um, way of talking about pur- purpose is intention. Does that make sense? Is that yeah? Sure. You know, yeah. Like exactly. Yeah. When, when you're sort of when you're sort of living with. Like with a capital I, like intention. Yeah, exactly. When yeah. you're living like the with the kind of intention you learn in an acting class when you speak with intention. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah, and not a uh, um, right. like I am tired. I am tired of these M and F and snakes on this M and F and plane. Is a statement made with intention, right? Like as in I am going to get rid of the snakes. Like when Sna- when Samuel L. Jackson talks about the snakes on the plane. He is not just making a sort of a statement about the circumstances, right? Like, I sure am tired about these snakes on this plane, right? Like, no, there is an intention behind it. There is an intention to dispatch the snakes or to throw them out of the plane or somehow – Deal with the circumstances so that they do not persist, right? Like it looks like, yeah. I mean, it, actually, Samuel L. Jackson is for speaking with intention is maybe the greatest acting masterclass uh, of of like anyone because, like, uh, whereas you know, in Waterworld, Kevin Costner will just kind of toss off my boat, right? Uh, 
uh, Samuel Jackson um, in a, in Pulp Fiction will say, "I will strike down upon thee with great vengeance and furious anger." Right, and that like uh, uh, just the the cadence of that, the kind of tune shape um, that he, you know, of that uh, particular line, um, yeah. the fact that it's like it's like an arrow loosed from an expert archer uh, and you know hits its intended uh, intended yeah. target. Perhaps uh, it's perhaps. It's- it's fate that we're T minus uh, one week, not t- more more than T minus, but we are one week away from Triple X: The Return of Xander Cage, wherein Samuel L. Jackson imbues with great intention to save the world and look dope doing it. Right, <laughs> try to look dope while doing it, and when he says it. It feels like they're okay. Like now all of a sudden there's a reason to street luge, right? Because Samuel L. Jackson <laughs> said I have to look dope while doing it. And that imbues it with intention and purpose. So <laughs> the idea of kind of purposeless that's an interesting context. We can talk we're gonna talk more about Triple X next week. So Oh, oh yeah, that's that is one shot I am comfortable calling right now. <laughs> it it is our purpose to talk we we purpose to talk about Triple X. There's a big event happening next weekend. It starts on Friday, it's gonna change the world, and it's called Triple X the Return of Zander. Oh, you stole that was gonna be my open from oh. the from the podcast. You really stole my thunder there. I, oh sorry. I was gonna well, do I was gonna say if they of, listened all the way to here, they'll they'll uh, they'll be rewarded. Because that's a little tease. That's a little tease. Right. Uh, it, yeah. And it is going to be the NES classic. Uh, no, deep, deep, deep podcast cut for uh, <laughs> for a ba- for a bait and switch open. In oh yeah, we, we love baiting and switching because baiting and catching is sometimes you don't like what you end up with on the end of the hook. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, I I feel all turned around with my uh, you know with my discussion discussion of. Uh, of purpose. Can, can, I, can I? Can I just one other thing you said, please? Okay, so you said, and I think this is fair, as we say, that um, you talked about how you talked about choice, right? And you talked about how choice is problematized by neurological study and by uh, what we learn from science about uh, the kind of the ways in which the operation of choice is not discrete, right? By by which I mean uh, it does not exist in a coherent instant. There is not one sort of coherent exist, uh, instant that by its existence can be easily narrativized with the phenomenon of agency, right? Like if your brain – if everything in your brain and body uh, was able to divert, right, in, 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 a, in, a, in a timeless moment from – uh, from playing basketball to playing football, like if Bo knows basketball, right, and then Bo knows football, and if there were a moment where Bo chose, right, to stop knowing basketball and start knowing football, if he stopped playing, he stopped playing basketball, start playing football, uh, if the way that the brain worked or the mind worked was that all this happened all at once, which is, I think, is sort of our superficial, it's our superficially narrativized understanding of how it works, is that you make a choice, and then everything that's after the choice is different than everything that came before the choice. A lot of our drama uh, is invested in this notion, right, that choices are important, uh, and that, and that, but in order to make the choice feel more important, and to feel sort of more transcendental, we, we give the moment of the choice this sort of sacred, coherent, indivisible power, right? Free will. In order for free will to exist, there must be kind of coherent and discrete choice, right? That uh, I, don't, I don't think anybody – I don't think I've ever heard of anybody actually say that much, to say like in order for free will to exist, a choice must be discrete and coherent, right, and, and somewhat transcendental. But it does not necessarily follow that whether – 
well, the narrativization of associating agency with like cognitive and physical phenomena does not really depend in my mind and, and maybe maybe i'm i'm missing something here does not really depend on my mind on all of the of the physiological phenomena associated with it all happening at the same time right uh this idea that like well uh you're, we've determined through research that if we show you a, a piece of food right uh, you will decide on a kind of sub on a subconscious level whether you're going to eat the food or not before you are aware of seeing the food, right? Like, uh, I mean, that's an exaggeration. But this idea of like we showed a Twinkie to a monkey and the monkey decided to break his New Year's resolution before the image of the Twinkie registered on his visual cortex, right? Like uh, that, that's 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 overstating the case. But the idea of like, well, because we know that people uh, when they're exposed to stimuli, uh they, they tend not to uh, make the decision when they when they think they make the decision vis-a-vis their behavior. Uh, the degree of stimulative influence, right, like the degree to which the stimulus influences what they do uh, is is great, right? Uh, greater than they think that it is and greater than this notion of a transcendental choice would lead one to think, right? Because you would think, oh, if you have willpower and you kind of like – if you're Chun-Li and you've been told that only you can fight M. Bison and, and it's a prophecy and you got to fight M. Bison, there's the chance. There's the choice that you fight M. Bison. It's not like, oh, well, you know, you were kind of predisposed to fight M. Bison the whole time. Uh, you know, you know, oh, Goku, you know, the, the Saiyan warrior, we have a pizza for you, right? And it's like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose to eat the pizza. No. But the point be, point being that if you sort of spread out that phenomenon, right, if you spread out the physiological phenomenon of choice, if you recognize that your your choice of whether to eat something or do something is going to depend on kind of your circumstances, but that there are also kind of moments and, and, and instances before that that are also spread out over time where like, well, you could choose to be in this place or not in this place to experience or not experience this this uh, phenomenon. Maybe you will, maybe you won't. Right. And that's where that spreads out. And you end up with this sort of like this web that kind of flattens out asymptotically of like things that might affect what you do and things that things that might affect the sort of peaks and valleys that you could associate the discursive phenomenon of agency with. Right. Um, and if people say and I, I'm, I'm not really uncomfortable with with reconciling that with an idea of, I mean, free will is a tricky concept, right? But like the idea that you make choices in your life, I, I, I am not, I'm okay with stripping the transcendental out of the idea of choice and still saying like, I have to, and still like thinking of myself as a being, as somebody that has to make choices, right? Like I, I don't, I think that, that newspapers in particular way oversell the philosophical implications of neurological research around uh, volition, uh, and that's a pet peeve of mine. I have a couple pet peeves. Um, one one of them is uh, when um, one of them is when uh, animal rights activists refuse to acknowledge the existence of poor people, uh, which is sort of what happened around the circus. But I don't want to get into that. Where I like I support the animal rights activists, but I also su- support the poor people. Um, and it gets a little bit dicey, like dog racing and eggs and things like that. That's a pet peeve. But uh, but it's like we should all kind of try to recognize that there are not everybody is just like us. But another big pet peeve is when neurological research is taken for granted to uh, uh, arrive at philosophical conclusions, right, just by its nature, right, which is not what it does. But anyway, sorry, I went off on that. But but does that make sense based on what you were saying before? Well, yeah, I mean, I think that the – yes – um, I'm I'm a little less sympathetic to I'm a little to less the to the circus. 
Uh, I'm a little less sympathetic to the circus uh, because it's an entertainment. Uh, I'm a little more sympathetic to that uh, to that argument if we're talking about McDonald's, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, that, that's that's where it really matters. That's where the rubber really hits the road. The circus is the circus is the circus. It's it was you know around for 140 some odd years. There's a lot of, of entertainments that don't last that long. Yeah, and so. it's not it it's not an absolute like the circus is yeah. not an absolute good. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, even even blockbuster video is not an absolute good, right? And like, but it's you, high in the mountains of Nepal with that Caddyshack VHS in it that has the secret to human transcendence. Yeah, but they have this Celtic woman running it, and like, what's the? <laughs> no, no, no. What's She's the... been replaced by oh. Han Chinese. What? <laughs> yeah, sure. The way um, that it was supposed to be the whole time was that she was supposed to be a Han Chinese from Beijing, part of the official communist government. <laughs> yeah, anyway, sorry. I, now I'm now I'm going off. Track. Now right. I'm not living life with purpose. Now right. And she, what she, she teaches a, a Chinese ethnic minority a, a important lesson about about uh, purpose. Um, yeah, that uh, you know, um, I don't know that this this is. I mean, like this is actually a sort of thing. This is a sort of of choice that that we struggle with, right? Like, do do you go to the circus? Like, do you go support something that is, yeah. uh, you know, assuming that you're not uh, like like bracketing entirely this decision um and excluding entirely the 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 uh you know legitimate moral question that you raise about like have you uh have you actually considered that not everybody is like you uh or agrees with you about <laughs> about things um the uh, because you know of course you haven't um how could you it's none of none of us has well none of, that's the same thing like you're talking about frames of re- time frames of reference for people we think we're a lot better at it than we are right right yeah totally yeah um it's a difficult i mean it's it's sort of i i open with an with, uh, with an open ended question and so i want i want to close without necessarily coming to a conclusion uh coming to a conclusion about this but there there are like a number of things that uh confluence that that have sort of opened up this this area for me things things in the culture one is the one is the closing of the surf, circus believe it or not yeah. and this whole time we've been talking about the the closing of the circus without uh, the the end like uh what ringling brothers and barnum and bailey circus operations um, right, which it will be doing soon yeah in, right, in at the end of this season may right? yeah but before the summer or something like yeah. that um uh another is uh and and you know uh an impending event uh on friday the the second most consequential world historical event that's going to take place on friday after uh the release of after xander cage returns as triple x um right. and, and the third is is sort of uh uh, the third is Martin Luther King Day, where we, you know, sort of acknowledge um, someone who who lived with with purpose, right? And uh, all the all the kind of complications, uh, all the kind of complications around that, and like the the how that sort of interacts, um, how that interacts with our our. Uh, current thinking about what what good is and what it it means to to live with purpose and i guess the the only conclusion that that uh i sort of come to actually like a a good one um actually a good one is it's a lesson from uh from the song bell from beauty and the beast right like uh don't lean out the window and harass people on the street you know (laughs) (laughs) right like like they're they're uh uh I don't know that uh, that it's it's probably good. Um, 
it's probably good to when when you're dealing with your peers like uh not necessarily assume that they're terrible people because they're taking their family to dinner at McDonald's. You don't necessarily know uh the the circumstances there and it's it's probably good not to get too uppity about that crap. Um and maybe that's the only lesson I can draw. Well, I think from we can take a lot more lessons out of it. <laughs> well, one, here's one lesson, right? And and I feel like if 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 we're talking about the uh, so think about think about uh, Lumiere, right? Consider Lumiere, right? As, as a philosophical proposition, right? Consider Lumiere. Just, Lumiere I mean, has a, a purpose. What's just a up? couple weeks ago, I was considering the coconut. Like uh, this is my my brain is tired, Disney. I can't just you know engage in a kind of abstract uh, uh, philosophical reasoning every time I go to you, one of your damn movies. Come on, it's supposed <laughs> but to be dumb. It's always going to be an inanimate object that gets up and talks to you, and it always is going to raise all these questions about existence. Right? Like, why is the object talking? I need to I need to understand what is the purpose of the inanimate object talking like why like or even the inanimate object like Ben Thumper. Why is why Thumper like what is Thumper? Why is that? What is what is the sounds of the Thumpers that does not Thump? Right. Like if if uh, if Thumper ceases to Thump, is he still Thumper? Right. Um, but and I mean, because there you go. There's there's so many fictional characters that are named especially uh, talking animals that are just named with the thing that they they do, right? Um, like Legolas. No, not Legolas. But consider Lumiere, right? Lumiere has a purpose. Lumiere's purpose is uh, he's a candle, right? He's a candle holder. Um, he is both candle holder and candle, right? Let us, let, us not, let us not be sloppy in our definition of the thing. Lumiere encompasses the candle holder, the candle, and the flame on the wick of the candle. I think they would all be considered part of him, right? His purpose, uh, he was at one point a denizen of a castle that was cursed, right? But now he is a candelabra and, and its contents. And so he has a purpose, which is to, as, as a light fixture, right? <laughs> like as a light fixture in the castle. Um, and he also has a purpose in the context of the story because he wants to be human again. And, and the idea of turning Lumiere back into a human, among many of the other characters in Beauty and the Beast, is, is a motivation, right, for Belle to endeavor upon the things she endeavors upon, even if they aren't really in her interest or even if they separate her vastly from how a real person would act under those circumstances. And yet – and yet, with all of this, right, with all of this this complex and layered purpose and interpurpose, and also consequence, right, where if Lumiere weren't there, things would work out differently than how they do. You know, he burns the rope that crashes the chandelier, right, that I think scares away some of the villagers. I don't really remember the scene that well. It's going to be redone in the gritty reboot where he's just going to kill a bunch of gang members. Uh, and he's just going to like – and he's going to be like, you say my name, Lumiere, you're done right. Um, but – but – the time in the movie where where Lumiere is really living with purpose, right? I mean, Matt, you know the time in The Beauty of the Beast where Lumiere is living with more purpose than any other time, right? You're going to have to refresh my memory. That was not, you know, I was an Aladdin kid, just saying. <laughs> it's when he's, he, it's, it's his offer, right? Be our guest. Be ah. our guest. Put our service to the test. Now, you could say, well, this is because before Lumiere was transformed into a candelabra and its contents, he was a domestic servant. And as such, he is he is uh, he is still the thing that he is. Right. right. He he's, is, he's he's offering his he's offering hospitality. And that's sort of his his that's his job's purpose, I suppose. Right. right? You could, well, you could also say that, like, it's a sign that the part of him that was human that wasn't transformed into a candelabra and its contents still somewhat dictates his kind of role in the 
great shade of being. Well, and right? Are, right, and that that's actually, I mean, that's that's the interesting thing. It it is a a, a consequence of the modern world, maybe the like the post industrial revolution world that we have sort of divorced these things. The sense of like station in life from like uh, intrinsic worth in the in the the great chain of being, right? Like we we talk about in you know traditionally aristocratic societies, they talk about your betters uh, as being the the people, and and in egalitarian societies, those are the people who just by chance, just by happenstance, not by purpose, not on purpose, but right. uh, by uh, uh, by accident, right? Um, the kind of like strictly etymologically literal definition of accident, like just as a thing that happened. Um, do you uh, is uh, uh, you know happen to have been born into into higher station higher station than you? And so this is you know this is a kind of anti democratic uh, view of of purpose and living with purpose. If his uh, you know his um, uh, uh, life right uh, his kind of intrinsic uh, uh, nature um, is in alignment with what his job uh, what is. Was. <laughs> that's the important thing it's what his job was right, right. because and, now and he's he, because now he's a candle now he's a candelabra and its contents so there's an or here right or or the reason right the reason the purpose of lumiere that lumiere lives with when he sings be our guest to bell is 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 a purpose that is engaging with bell's need right that, that, that Lumiere's purpose recognizes the situation, right, makes a choice about – now, it's a choice that has a lot of antecedents, right? Lumiere was not entirely free to choose his circumstances, right? And, and there's a lot that affects the decision that he makes, and, and it, is, it, is, it is certainly not a, a transcendental decision in the sense that it happens all at once, right? But he does choose from his frame of reference if we were to extrapolate – of course, he's a fictional character – but if we were to make this extrapolation as we so often do and, of course, so criminally underestimate ourselves by doing but as such we have to do it and we do it when we talk about fiction is trying to understand ourselves when lumiere makes the choice and is so excited and is so motivated and is so intentional about uh inviting bell not just to be trapped in the castle forever right but to enjoy hospitality right to enjoy wonder to enjoy joy de vivre which we know from bell is part of how she approaches the world right there's a kinship there and the idea is that whatever lumiere's purpose in the definition of the haunted castle might have been, uh, you know, and whatever limits there might be on his ability to determine, like, to really be the master of his own destiny uh, with regards to all this, since most of what he does depends on whether or not these two strangers make out with each other, right? Like, that's that's the thing that determines what's going to happen to him. There still is the experience in the moment, right? The the living experience of, of meeting the need of somebody else, or, or meeting some other sort of need, right, with, with a sense of living with, with an exultant uh, motivation, intentionality, right, uh, an idea that is not just um, – that, that, is, that is purposeful, right? That, that, that Lumiere could have acted any number of different ways in, that, in those circumstances. And I think the real thing is, no matter – regardless of how that happens, regardless of the sort of the mechanisms by which it comes to be, can we look and, – and if we're willing to put aside the Marxist critique of Lumiere the butler as less than an aristocrat, right, which is, which is something that is, is part of this and fair – and fair but if we are, are willing to look aside from that at another dimension of it can we say that lumiere's purpose is good right can we say that be our guest 
is a song about the good or is a song that is in, involved with the good or a good, right? And and my gut says yes, but I've always loved Lumiere and Cogsworth gets kind of a short shrift. Um, and the teapot, of course, Miss, Miss uh, oh gosh, it's not just Miss Teapot. No, it's Potts. Pottsworth, Miss, yeah, yeah. Mrs. Uh, Miss Potts. Mrs. Potts, yeah. Played by the inimitable Angela Lansbury is, is probably the best of the performers. But the, the point being that like, all of these different things that detach and 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 transpose and complicate our relationship with why we do things and with that good feeling you get when you feel like you're doing something like for a purpose or with a purpose like all of that you can you can look at all of that and then you can still look at that feeling that you have when you're doing the thing with purpose and i think you can still call it good even if you can't call it true right even if you don't know, if you, if you don't know enough about the situation to say that it's a fact, let me say more that different from true. You can't call it fact, but you can't call it good, uh, a good purpose or a bad purpose. Right. I think I think you can still do that. I think you can still do that. Sure. I, and, I, and, and, yeah. I, and I and I want to hold that out as, as some hope. Right. Well, because. I, OK, great. I'm, I'm going to refrain from argu- <laughs> arguing with you about whether it's intrinsically good or instrumentally good, uh, whether being well, our it's ga- instrumental. He's a candelabra and its contents <laughs> and its contents and and the fire and I the mean, orchestra that's playing while he's singing. I suppose. Instruments. Yeah, that's. <laughs> The harp is it has a face on it. It's playing itself. All right. This has been uh this, <laughs> this has been the uh the uh overthinking podcast. Um we'll be back with more show next week. Till then you can visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It probably, it probably doesn't, doesn't deserve. Tale as old as time, true as it can be, bittersweet and strange, finding you can't change, wondering, am I me? (laughs) Just a little scared, then a lot more scared, (laughs) then really, really scared, (laughs) totally, totally scared. Existential (laughs) nausea.